If you're going to live in victory lane, get on your feet and give God a praise in here. Come on, I, listen. On a scale of one to ten, that's not even a five. I said, if you're determined to make it to victory lane, give God a praise. <laughs> hey, how about this? Before I teach and preach, can we thank Josiah and Dakota and the whole cast for making this series so awesome? Let's thank those guys for putting this together. It really was amazing. Well, who's determined in the name of Jesus that you are going to make it all the way in and you're going to experience victory, not just today, but you're going to find your way to heaven and you're going to have victory. Make a little noise if you're going to walk in victory. I feel an assignment today. I'm coming from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. If you're ready, somebody say, I'm ready. In fact, say, ready, set, go. All right. 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Uh, do, not, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. One translation says, run in such a way that you might win. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do all of it to obtain a perishable crown, but we do it for an incorruptible or imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body. And I bring it into subjection, lest that when I preach to others, I myself should be disqualified. I want to preach to you for just a few minutes along these lines, Victory Lane. Who wants to make it to Victory Lane? You want to make sure that when it's all said and done, that you are more than a conqueror. Slip up your hands, precious. Father, I feel such an anointing in this room today. You move so mightily in Palm Coast, and I believe you're going to do it here. Have your way, Lord. We love you so much. Thank you for victory in Jesus' name. Somebody give the Lord a great praise for victory if you believe that it's yours. All right, before you sit down, tell everybody in your neighborhood, Victory Lane, Victory Lane. Now, I'll never forget when we came here, this month marks 26 years that we've been pastors and leaders of this ministry. Man, doesn't even seem possible. But when we came here, one of the times that we came was when a NASCAR race was going on. And I had never seen anything like it in my entire life because we messed around and got on uh, ISB. And back in those days, they would make all the roads remember one way. And I thought, what in the world is going on? And I know we've got some great NASCAR fans here. And I've never been that much of a NASCAR fan because to me, you know, you just watch it. And then you watch it again. And then you watch it again. But there's been times that I've really kind of enjoyed the race when I was there. And I want to talk to you today about NASCAR drivers. I've done some research. And there's some things that NASCAR drivers do in order to make it to victory lane. NASCAR drivers train their hands, their feet, 
and their mind to function at top level for the race. NASCAR drivers have incredible discipline. They've been preparing many of this. Now, for, for a NASCAR driver, it seems to me that the ultimate race, the one they want to win the most, is the 500. And many of these drivers have been training almost their entire life. They've been preparing for this race before the green flag is ever waved. And many of these drivers, as I've said, they've spent so many years getting them ready. Now, the first thing, getting themselves ready. Now, the first thing I want to show you is this. A NASCAR driver trains their hands. Uh, a driver trains his hands because his hands are incredibly important to him. So much so that this driver, y'all, has spent years training his hands between steering and shifting and signaling. A driver's hands are incredibly important to him. They're necessary for his success. And the hands steer the car. The hands govern what they're able to accomplish. It is as in racing, so it is in life. Whatever you apply your hands to governs whether or not you arrive in victory lane. The Bible says if a man is lazy, the rafters sag. If his hands are idle, the house leaks. Do you know any lazy people? You say, Apostle, I would like to point at them. But I want you to understand something. Some people, they have lives that are sagging and lives that are leaking. And in the end, they can't blame anyone but themselves. And it's not because they've been neglected. It's not because they've had some hard knocks. It's not because the world is against them. It's because they are lazy. It's quiet in here. But I still believe that if you want to succeed, you got to go to work. If you want to eat, you got to go to work. If you want to pay your bills, you got to go to work. Preach, apostle. Young, listen, we have this society that is entitled. We have this society that has the mindset, well, I ought to just get it. But let me tell you something, baby. I have lived long enough to know that whatever is for you in life, you'll have to work on some level to get it. All the working people. The Bible said if a man is lazy, the rafters sag, the, the roof leaks. You, you, you see, the reality is that rest is a commandment, but laziness is a sin. So you got to understand the difference between rest and laziness. Uh, anybody who knows me knows that I run, man. I run around like a head with my chicken cut off. Come on, somebody. I'm always preaching somewhere, getting on a plane, going into ministry somewhere. Here lately, I've been getting up at 3.30 in the morning, trying to get to the airport, trying to get to a plane, trying to get to the next thing. And, and, and it's like I run, but I've come to understand that I can't run nonstop. Because yesterday I posted on my Facebook, I'm going to rest today so I can roar tomorrow. Come on. I'm preaching three times today. And so I've made up in my mind, yesterday I'm going to be chilling and I'm going to relax and I'm going to get myself in position where I can roar. I've come to tell you that it's time for you to roar. Is there anybody ready to be effective? Now, Watch this. The Bible talks about idleness here, and the word idleness means inactivity resulting in sinking. See, your life sinks when you are lazy. 
Here's what I know. Things fall apart for lazy people. Your bills don't get paid if you're lazy. Your goals are not achieved if you're lazy. Your relationships suffer if you're lazy. I'm not going to stay here very long. Some of y'all say, I wish you'd hurry up. Race car drivers train their hands. Their hands are not idle. They are critical to seeing themselves, uh, finding themselves in victory lane. The English word for idle is very intense. It means avoiding work, lazy, without purpose or effect. You can't fulfill your purpose if you are lazy. And some people have spiritualized laziness. You know, Apostle, I'm just waiting on God. I'm just waiting on God. How long you gonna wait? I'm just waiting on God. Listen, there comes a point where you have to start waiting, stop waiting and start working. Many people spend their lives supposedly waiting on God when they ought to be working. So tell everybody in your neighborhood, get busy. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. For in the grave where you are going, there's neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. He said, you got a chance. If you're going to do it, do it big. Do life like my daddy would say with onions in it. Now, my, some of y'all remember Pastor Paul Paul. He pastored his first church when he was 17 years old. And my dad was something else, y'all. He would give the microphone to anybody. If somebody said they wanted to sing, he would let them sing. I have a word. He would, he would just. And I remember any time somebody was doing something extra, he would say, son, they're doing that with onions in it. Onions was always the extra. And I remember one night there was a man we didn't even know came into our little church in the hood and said, I want to sing a song and play a drum solo. My dad put the microphone at the drums. And when I tell you it was terrible, the man was singing the house of the rising sun. <laughs> Come on, somebody. And I'm sitting there going, what in the way? He is beating those drums. And my dad said, he's doing it with onions in it, ain't he? And when he was, that man was done, my dad stood up and clapped and carried on. I said, Dad, why are you clapping? He said, I'm clapping because it's over, son. <laughs> See, I've made up in my mind, y'all, that I'm going to do life with onions in it. If you want an apostle and an overseer of ministry that just wants to survive and just barely get by and say that we have arrived here in the wrong church on the wrong Sunday with the wrong man, but there is something deep down inside of me that says the best is yet to come and I'll work my way to get there. Somebody that believes that God's got more for you, open up your mouth and give him praise right now. So, so I want you to raise up your hands and I want you to, de to declare this after me. Say, Lord, please bless the work of my hands and help me get to victory lane. Now somebody give God praise like you believe it's going to happen. Hallelujah. Now watch this. He, a NASCAR driver trains his hands, but number two, he trains his feet. A great NASCAR driver trains his feet. And he knows when it's time to accelerate, when it's time to press the clutch, and when it's time to put on brakes. Now a great NASCAR driver 
knows when it's time to accelerate. He knows when there's an open opportunity and he accelerates into that opportunity. If you don't accelerate, when it's time to accelerate, you'll never get to victory lane. It pays to know when it's time to get in a hurry. Life happens fast, y'all. I said life happens fast, y'all. How many of you can believe that you're as old as you are? I'm, come on now. Wave at me if you're kind of shocked that you're this old. I, that's about 95% of you. And the reality of, of it all is this. I've learned that life happens fast. And if we're not careful, life will pass us by. Sometimes we miss out on the great things of God because we don't know when to accelerate when it's time, there are three kinds of people in the room today. Those who make things happen, those who watch things happen, and those who wonder what happened. But I'm going to declare what I declared over uh, Palm Coast this morning because I feel this in my spirit. I didn't put it in my teaching notes, but I feel this in my spirit. Do you remember the story of Ruth? Do you remember that when uh, Ruth and, and Orpah, who was Ruth's sister-in-law, and Naomi were headed back to uh, Bethlehem after leaving Moab because of the famine? And Naomi said, go back, each of you. Remember that story? And, and Ruth said, go back. Orpah kissed her mother in law goodbye but Ruth said I can't go back they, I don't have nothing to go back to go back to what go back to Moab go back to struggle how many of you can say in this room apostle I'll go anywhere but I ain't going back okay I got a few of you I said how many of you can say I'll go anywhere but I'm not going back I no sir watch this so she goes <laughs> into Bethlehem and finally the famine had lifted and there was bread in Bethlehem and she goes into Bethlehem, Ruth does, and she's going to glean in the corners of the field. She's trying to get just enough for life and survival because that's the way that they took care of the poor. So she's gleaning in the corners of the field when all of a sudden Boaz comes by. Who is Boaz? Read, read It's a great story. Boaz is the rich man. He's the heir of all things. Come on, somebody. He's the Lord of the harvest. He comes by on his Cadillac camel. On his Mercedes mule. Come on, somebody. He on his Lexus llama. Y'all ain't saying nothing to me. And he looks over at Ruth, and when his eyes fell on her, she found grace. She had been in a mess for 10 years. But Boaz, she encountered Boaz, and within 24 hours... Her life shifted, and that may not sound like much until you define the name Boaz. Boaz's name means acceleration. It means quickly. It means in a hurry. And I heard the Lord say to tell my people to get ready because I am releasing a Boaz season before their very eyes. I only want to hear from the people who are ready to accelerate into your purpose, accelerate into your new season. If you're ready for a Boaz season, somebody give God praise right now. A NASCAR driver understands when it is time to accelerate. But the next thing I want you to show, to show you about a NASCAR driver is they know when to hit the brakes. They use their feet when it's time to press the brakes. They break so they won't get in disastrous wrecks. 
And we don't hear much in the church anymore about telling our people you got to put the brakes on. It'll destroy you if you get in that relationship. There are things that are wrong and right. you got to put on the brakes. You, if you don't learn how to put on the brakes, you won't stay on track and you won't finish the race. In fact, there are times when it is necessary to make pit stops. But the pit is not a place of defeat. It's a place of preparation. It's a place where you're getting ready to finish the race. Come on, somebody. Look at, I wrote a book called uh, Dream Killers. And there's the story of Joseph. And he has all these great dreams and all this great ambition. He has a vision of the palace. And his brother throws, his brothers throw him in the pit. I need you to tell your whole row the pit ain't it. It's, it's a temporary stop. He didn't know what was going on. All of a sudden, he's in the pit. And he didn't get out of the pit ugh, until one of his brothers got him out. It was a brother named Judah who said, raise him up and bring him out of the pit. And you know what Judah means? Judah means praise. And I want to tell you something. If you're in the pit today, you're not going to program your way out. You're not going to legislate your way out. You're not going to dictate your way out. You're not going to confess your way out. You're not going to command your way out. Your mama can't get you out. Your daddy can't get you out. Your preacher can't get you out. But you can praise the Lord until you can raise. Shooter will get you out. I dare somebody who's been in a pit season, open up your mouth and give God a praise right now. Tell somebody in your neighborhood the pit ain't it. But there are times that you will go into a pit and God will prepare you for what's next. You got to learn to put on brakes. How many people over the years have ran full speed into wrong relationships? Wrong jobs. Wrong choices. Wrong places. And all because they didn't know how to put on brakes. Everyone who knows, who makes it to victory lane, learns how to apply the brakes. The Bible says in Isaiah 116, take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. And in love, I would tell you like a father, if you're doing things, young person, that are wrecking your future, stop doing wrong. I would tell you, sir, stop doing wrong. Now watch this. NASCAR drivers know how to brake, but understand this. NASCAR drivers use their feet to press the clutch because they know when it's time to shift. Now, is there anybody here who's old enough that you learned how to drive on a stick shift? Oh, look at this. All y'all ain't 11. You remember when you were driving that stick shift? And you would press the clutch in, and then you had to have just enough acceleration and just enough clutch. And sometimes you go. <laughs> Where are the real people at? Listen, you, you, you would give your daddy a nervous breakdown trying to figure out how to drive a clutch. But then you come to understand that when you were getting ready for acceleration, 
you had to press the clutch in because it was time for a shift. Ah. The Lord spoke to me and said that some of you are in clutch moments right now. Some of you are in clutch seasons right now. And the enemy wants you to quit, but God said, no, press the clutch because you're getting ready to shift. I just want the people who are ready for a shift to give God a praise right now. I need a shift. My son needs a shift. My children need a shift. My daughter needs a shift. My circumstance needs a shift. But here's what you do. When you're driving that stick shift, you know, I'm shifting. Isn't that how it sounds? You hit that clutch. And for a moment, just a moment, you feel like you're losing ground. Just a moment, you feel like you're slowing down. But God said no in that moment where you feel like you're losing ground and you feel like you're slowing down, what's actually happening is you're getting ready to shift to another level because you're about to accelerate. I don't know who I'm talking to, but somebody has been in a clutch season and it feels like you've slowed down, but I hear the Lord say, you better get ready. You're about to accelerate into a new season if you'll stay in the race. If you wanna, if you wanna make it to victory lane, learn how to shift, hallelujah. The key to acceleration is to shift. Some of you have been stopping, and you, you feel like you're stopping, but I would declare you're not stopping, you're shifting in the name of Jesus Christ. The Bible said in Habakkuk 3.19, the Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high heels. And all the women say amen. Come on. He will make me, well, it doesn't mean like high heels, H-E-E-L-S. It means heels. It means to go higher. He said he will cause me to go higher. I thank the Lord that there's no limit with God that he can take us higher. Now, NASCAR racers' feet help them stay in the race. And then the next thing I want to show you after he understands his hands and his feet, the next thing he trains is his eyes. It's important that a NASCAR driver keep his eyes on what matters. One of the things the enemy wants to do to you is bring so much pressure in your life until you lose sight of what's important, until you lose sight of what matters. I've heard it said that the eyes are the windows of the soul. And I've come to tell you, we got to keep our eyes on what matters. The older I get, the more determined I am to spend my life on what matters. I don't want to just get by or just exist. I want to keep my eye on the vision of this house. I want to keep my eye on what matters. The Bible said, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. The enemy wants you to look at your circumstances. He wants you to look at your problems. He wants you to look at your issues. But how many of you can say, Apostle, I'm looking unto Jesus because he's the author and the finisher of, um, of my faith. Job said it like this, Job 31.1, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustingly at a girl. In this world that is so full, can I talk to you like a father? Young person that is so full of lust and immorality, there's so much access now on the internet everywhere you turn 
There's an opportunity to get consumed, but you have to make a covenant, an agreement, a pledge is what that means, with your eyes, that I'm not going to be that person. And anybody who knows me knows that most weeks I'm somewhere. I'll be preaching in Alabama or next week I'm preaching in California. I'll be preaching somewhere every week ministering. And I can't tell you the times that I had to remind myself when I would go into that room and I had access, especially as a younger man, to television and things that I shouldn't see. I reminded myself, I made a covenant with my eyes. I made a covenant with Jesus, y'all. And I made a covenant with my wife. This is gonna be too much for y'all, but I'm gonna tell the truth and shame the devil. You know, when I was younger, and I still ain't old, I just been here a long time. Come on, somebody. I was working out, I was training hard, and man, I was just, I, I started getting these emails from this woman. And she was saying, oh, you, you working out, we can see it. I'm, and I'm embarrassed to say this. She said, I want to see what you look like underneath them clothes. You imagine telling the apostle that. You know what I did? I called my wife in because I'm scared of her. Y'all don't know, I'm not kidding. I, I really am afraid of Dawn Rayleigh. She has this quiet rage and if she crosses over, it's over. That's just, Dawn will, she's from Georgia, she will shoot me dead. She knows where the guns are. She will shoot me dead, raise me from the dead, kill me again just to watch me die twice. I responded to that lady. I said, I just showed my wife this. She kept emailing me. So you know what I did? I took the email out and I read, y'all remember? I read it to the whole church. And I said, listen, you have to know I didn't say that. I said, I am committed to this woman. I am committed to this church. I'm committed to this future. I'm committed to my children. And I have made a covenant that I'm not going. Are there any covenant keepers in the house? Listen, maybe you ain't perfect, but if you made a covenant, open up your mouth and give God a praise. So you got to, somebody say, train your eyes. Now watch this. NASCAR drivers have what I want to call an extra set of eyes. See, I'm only here because I've had an extra set of eyes. Not my, just my own and not even Don's. Listen to what I'm trying to teach you right now. The extra set of eyes are high in the towers. There's people high up in the towers. They're called the spotters. And the spotters give direction, and they tell the drivers when it's safe to move or not to move. They can see what the driver can't see. They have a perspective, y'all, that the driver doesn't have. They can see what's going on all around the driver. So they're able to give him direction because they are the spotter. And I've come to tell somebody today that the Holy Spirit is our spotter. That means he sees what we can't see. 
That means he has a different perspective about our family, our children, about what we're going through. We see all we can see, but then when we get connected to our spotter, the spotter can tell us, you better stay, you better accelerate, you better slow down, you better speed up. I dare somebody, if he's ever been your spotter and he's your spotter right now, give the Holy Ghost a big thank you. I mean, come on. There's some things you wanted. There's some things you tried to get. What if you would have married that woman? Come on. What if you would have got what you thought you wanted, but the Holy Spirit acted as your spotter and he kept you in the name of Jesus. I'm thankful for that. Now watch this. Next thing, they train their, their hands, their feet. They train their eyes, but then fourth thing, they train their minds. They've been at this constantly for so long, many of them, their minds are trained. It's instinctive. The reality is those who get into victory lane train their minds, and it's almost instinctive. I've been preaching so long, y'all. I preach anywhere. It's just instinctive. I just find myself, I'll just preach on an airplane. Somebody will sit next to me, and I'm sharing them three points in a poem. Come on. I'm leading them, I'm reading them right in the message. And I've been going to this place, if he's watching, bless you, buddy, called the stretch zone. And the stretch zone, they stretch you out because when you get older, your body does not always cooperate with you. Where are the real people at? So you want to be limber. So I've been going to this stretch zone. And man, I have had the best time with this guy. And I have been preaching to him. I have been sharing Jesus with him. I've been, I've been talking to him about my messages. He, he grew up in Georgia, grew up in church. He said, I've never seen anybody like you. He said, I'll be honest with you. He said, I get excited when you come in here. And you know what he does now? Y'all ain't ready for this. He will schedule me for a 30-minute stretch, and then he will say, I'm going to schedule my break on the end of the stretch so that I can keep stretching you and you can keep talking to me. It's instinctive. How many of you want to get your brain so filled with the things of God that praise becomes instinctive? Prayer becomes instinctive. Worship becomes instinctive. You just, you're not even thinking about it. Man, I find myself at the, I was at the house the other day and I was trying to go downstairs and something came up on me and I was, y'all bear with me. I just went, don't say, where did that come from? I said, I don't even know. There it was. And I just let it ride because sometimes out of your belly shall flow forth rivers of living water. You don't have to be in a church service. You don't have to be in a house of God. You can be in the car. Tell everybody in your neighborhood, say, train your brain. See, here's the truth, y'all. Those who get to victory lane, train their minds. And, and, and when you train your mind, you're maturing. We must mature to make it to victory lane. The Bible said in Proverbs 23, 7, for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he thinks. In the Hebrew, there's two definitions. Number one, it means to split open. When a mind, when a man's mind is split open, all of him is exposed. 
a man's thoughts expose him. Whatever you are, you are, or you're in the process. Whatever you think you are, you are, or you're in the process of becoming. We think our way into victory and into defeat. So the word think here in the secondary meaning, it means to act as a gatekeeper or doorkeeper. This is powerful because the writer is declaring here, we have a responsibility to guard our minds. By the Spirit of God, you got to act as a gatekeeper or as a doorkeeper. I'm telling you, I'm the gatekeeper at my house. I'm the doorkeeper at my house. I don't let just anything into my house, and God gives us a choice. And I want you to understand, anybody that comes to my house, I've invited you in. And if I want you to stay, y'all help me, I will entertain you. If I want you to stay, I'm going to find it. What, you want something to drink? You want some food? I want you to stay. Because I have to put effort if you're going to come. But if I'm ready for you to go, y'all ain't saying nothing. You ever had somebody you were with and you're like, Jesus, I need to be delivered right now. You ain't offering them a Coke, glass of tea. You ain't offering them nothing. You're just like leaning on the door. You're just like, because here's the reality. You have to be careful the thoughts you entertain. And the thoughts won't stay in your head unless you feed them, unless you make them comfortable, unless you make a place for them. As the gatekeeper of your mind, you control what comes in when you allow thoughts that are unrighteous, ungodly, and unhealthy. And when you entertain those, you're in trouble. You cannot let them in without entertaining them, feeding them, amusing them, and making them comfortable. Here's, here's what I've come to understand. These kind of thoughts are high-maintenance thoughts. Help me, Holy Ghost. Depression is a high-maintenance thought. Defeat is a high-maintenance thought. Come on, being consumed with pornography and lust, it's a high-maintenance thought. You've got to invest time. You've got to think about it. You've got to dwell on it. You've got to entertain it. But there comes a point where you have to become the gatekeeper of your mind and say, I'm not dwelling on depression. I'm not dwelling on defeat. I'm not dwelling on who did me wrong. I'm retraining my mind. <laughs> Victory comes when you stop entertaining and feeding thoughts. You must starve unrighteous, unwholesome thoughts to death. Somebody give God a praise that God's retraining your mind right now. Come on. Come on. Somebody give God praise right now that you're going to push out thoughts of depression. Come on. Push out thoughts of self-harm. Push out thoughts of divorce. Y'all help me. Push out thoughts of giving up. If you want your mind reconditioned, give God a praise right now. So here's what the devil doesn't want you to know. Victory comes when you stop entertaining and feeding bad thoughts. You must starve unrighteous thoughts to death. So what do you do when you come to church? You're starving unrighteous thoughts. When you read the word, you're starving unrighteous thoughts. When you worship the Lord, when you praise the Lord, when you do his work, the only way to get your life straightened out is to get your mind 
straightened out. Now, watch this. Whenever there are several different flags that a NASCAR driver has to become acquainted with. Number one, there's the green flag. The green flag is waved and it means go. I declare in the mighty name of Jesus that there is a green flag being waved over your life right now. Oh, I need somebody that wants more of God and wants to, come on, wants to become more for God. God is waving a green flag. Listen, we've been here a long time and God has been faithful, but I was in Houston this week talking to another campus where we looked like we could bring another campus in in Houston. We just had Midland, Texas. We got Cincinnati that looks like gonna come in and be a campus here the next few months. Our Panama City campus just gave away 400 backpacks with 900 people in, y'all ain't saying nothing. We are growing left and right. Heaven is waving a green flag. Palm Coast was packed out. We got wall to wall people here today. So I feel it in this church. Heaven is waving a green flag. But I sense he's waving it over youth ministries and kids ministries. How about this? over your family over your new season somebody give God praise for a, a green flag right now somebody give God praise and then if you ever watch a race they'll wave a yellow flag and the yellow flag means this come on son be careful caution there's trouble brewing. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for every time that the Holy Spirit waved a yellow flag over my life. I'm thankful for the things that he helped me discern. I'm thankful for the paths that I didn't go down. For the times that I said, Lord, I'm going to trust you. Years ago when we first came here, man, it was... It was so tight, y'all. It was such a struggle. And I had somebody, we needed a new sign. This person said, I'll, I'll buy the sign. And I thought, well, praise God. Because <laughs> we couldn't buy nothing. But then that same person called me up the next week and said, here's what I need to do. I need you to put this person in this office. I need you to do this and I need you to do that. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, let them keep the sign. They didn't buy the sign, and I didn't do what they wanted me to do because this ministry ain't for sale. Come on, it ain't, this pulpit ain't for sale. It ain't even for rent. Can I get a witness? There were so many times in my life where things looked so good where the Holy Spirit would wave a caution flag. Even now, you need to understand that everything that looks great is not always great. Holy Spirit, be my spotter. Give me insight. Help me see beyond just where I am. And then they wave a red flag. And the red flag means this. It means you better stop. 
This is, you better stop. There's a wreck. There's a problem. There's an issue. You better stop. I think about the times in my life where the Holy Spirit has waved a red flag for me, where it came with a relationship, an opportunity. There was a red flag. It seemed like it made sense. Man, the lane was open, but the Holy Spirit said, stop, and I stopped, and I'm grateful. And I come to realize that when he was waving the yellow flag and the red flag in my life, now at 59, I understand he was only protecting me. But then what everybody wants to see is the checkered flag. The checkered flag. Anybody want to see the checkered flag in the spirit? Come on. When it's your time. The checkered flag says the race has been won. I was reading about the origin of the, of the checkered flag. And they said back in the days, many years ago, when they would be on the plains and there'd be people there that were settlers and they were journeying. In these small towns, they would have horse races. And that was so much fun to them. And the whole town would come together and they would set up tables and they would prepare supper while the horse races were going on. And the kind of tablecloths that they used in those days were black and white checkered tablecloths. And when the race was over, they would take a checkered tablecloth and they would wave it. And everybody in the race knew that supper was ready. Whenever they waved that flag, it was a sign that supper is on the table. Let me tell you, some of y'all take communion and you think that's the last supper. Can I tell you something, baby? That's not the last supper. That's the next to the last supper. There's one more great supper, and that's the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I feel like we are closer than we've ever been. The Lord is going to wave the checkered flag. Is there anybody that can say, Apostle, I'm going to make it to that supper. I'm going to be there. With all my heart, with all my heart, I want you to train your hands your feet, your eyes, and your mind because I want you to make it to Victory Lane. And do you remember the video? We were in this slow car. Y'all seen the car? And hey, give Josiah God bless you and our team. They did amazing. <laughs> Dakota. But the cars were passing us left and right. But in the video, we still won the race. Because you don't win by beating someone else. 
you win by finishing the race. Who's going to finish? So I close with this, and then I'm going to jump in the car and go preach one more time at Palm Coast. But listen, precious. When we came here 26 years ago, some of you have heard me talk about the story. I'm this young kid with all this vision. John actually rode around with me and trying to help me find a house to live in. And he's still with me all these years later. I love you, John. You're a blessing to my life. And so things were so tight. We were meeting in the gym, and nothing seemed possible in those days. All I had was vision and faith in God. I knew where the Lord wanted to take us. I'd written the vision out, but it didn't even seem possible. And Brother Mac Ballard, who was, man, a father to me in every way, he got us an opportunity to have dinner with our leadership in Victory Lane. And we went there, and we had dinner and then we all took our picture the whole little group of leaders in victory lane in them days all we had was a gym with holes in it no resources couldn't even buy toilet paper but we were standing in victory lane just like we were meant to be there 26 years later, nine campuses. Come on, somebody. Five in Florida. Every campus has its own building. Y'all, I'm just trying to tell you, maybe you're in a place right now where you don't see the whole thing, but if God has called you to victory lane, train your mind, train your eyes, train your hand, train your feet, you're gonna get there. I need you to tell somebody in your neighborhood, I'm gonna get there. I'm gonna get there, I'm gonna, maybe I'm not there yet, but I'm gonna get there. Maybe you're here today and you're not where you need to be with the Lord and standing everybody. You're not where you need to be with the Lord. Maybe there's things that alienate you from God. God will touch you right now. If you're here and you'd say, Apostle, there's some things in my life that ought not be there. And when you pray for somebody, pray for me with heads bowed and eyes closed. There's things right now keeping me out of victory lane, Apostle. Oh, I need to get right with God. Hallelujah. I need to put some stuff underneath the blood. I want to see that checkered flag in my life. I want, to, I want to make it to heaven. If you're not where you need to be, when I count to three, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you want to train your feet and your hands and your mind and your eyes, you want to make sure that you get there, this is the first step. If you're not where you need to be with the Lord, when I count to three, raise your hand. Pray for me, Apostle. One, I've got some sin I ought to get under the blood. Two, remember me, Apostle. Three, slip up your hand right now. Pray for me. Pray for me. Hands across the room. Hands in the hands, hands in the overflow. Come on, hold them up right now. I need a new beginning. I'm gonna let you.